I thought if I started my own company and got away from this big traveling on the road, I would be on more. And I was like, nope, <laughs> that didn't work out. I still had to go to markets. I still had to call on clients. I still had to build a business. And I was, you know, and I had to work harder. I had to like, I had to be at work 10, 12 hours every day. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Mental Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Lobos. Today, I've got a really fun guest. A guy, just serial entrepreneur, and one of the reasons why I liked him was because his bio and his one sheet said he left a family business and his dad was one of his biggest influencers and heroes. And if you know anything about me, you know that that is a big part of my story. So I was immediately attracted to Bue White because of that. And Bue is going to talk to us today about a lot of cool stuff as a serial entrepreneur, worked for his family's Fortune 500 company, and left it. And all the things that he learned along the way, he's put in his, in his uh, new book, Summer Classics. So I'm excited today because I had a lot of fun in this interview, a lot of fun. And I learned a lot. So let's take care of some business real quick. I'm going to tell you what this episode's all about. So first, if you haven't already, join the Mental Purpose community on Facebook. Make sure that you like and subscribe to the Mental Purpose Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever, wherever you listen, doesn't matter, just like it. And if you would, leave us a review. And if you are ready to rock right now and you want, you want some help with a big challenge in your life and you smashed up against a wall and you're like, hey man, I, I just need something to get me through this on the other side and I need, to, I need to break through, we got you. Tons of different stuff we have available. Our mastermind comes up every three weeks. We're starting another one in two weeks from now. We have different courses. We have free coaching in the mental purpose community. Pick one. Just take action on it. Take action on the free stuff. We don't care. Just take action. We want to help you in any way we can. We want to serve you in any way we can. So that's that. Now, here are the things we're going to go over today. What we're going to go over is leaving a family business, which might apply to some of you. We're going to talk about regret. And we're, really, we're going to talk about regret from the point of Bue, who's an older guy, who's been through a lot of life and almost died in 2013. And we're going to talk about it from what he learned from older people and the biggest regrets that they were facing and why he decided to shift his life. We're going to talk about the support of your wife or your partner or the support group that you're around, your inner circle. Talking about working through failures, family meetings, which is a really cool topic. I'm talking about family meetings with your kids and his interpretation, how he did it with his kids to get his kids interested in understanding of the family business. We're going to talk about what success means to him, which hint, hint, it's all about relationships. We talk about six biggest traits of an entrepreneur. We're going to talk about faith and trust, and we're going to talk about the clarity of death. You ready? Here we go. All right, Bu. So I want to let the audience know when I got your one sheet from your, uh, from the agency, like the one, there's two things that attracted me initially. The first one was that you left a family business. And the other one was that your dad was one of your mentors and go-tos for advice and, you know, whatever we get from our dads. And that's the other thing that really attracted me because I have left a family business, not as big as yours. I have left a family business um, and it was extremely tough mentally, emotionally. And my dad is probably my biggest mentor 
and go to for advice, even still, and I'm, you know, 39 years old, I still go to him for a lot of stuff. So I just want to start there and dig into that. Cause I know there are, there are a lot of people listening who have, maybe they just, they haven't been able to pull the trigger and maybe we can help them today. And the other piece is for guys like us, that are lucky enough to have had or have dads that have been great influences in our lives. Um, what else can we get out of that relationship? And then the other thing is for guys that don't have that, do you have any ideas on how to open that up? So let's just start with the leaving the family business and then we'll walk through the rest of the stuff. I, I don't know if you read the part about where I fired my dad. His attorney, right? I did. <laughs> and he, was, he wasn't charging me and I fired him. I was like, you know, you're just too into the, you're, it's too personal for you. Let me just get this other guy and he's good. And yeah, he's yeah. Like, you're going to have to pay him, right? And I was like, yeah, I know, I know, but I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, dad, dad was a, he was a pretty famous attorney. He's on the board of at least four Fortune 500 companies. Wow. One of them is Northwest Airlines, which ended up being Delta. Yeah. And, and, and but one of them was the company that my great-grandfather started that I was working for. Interesting. And I think... That maybe and that you, and it is surprising that he actually helped me get out. Yeah, as yeah, I think he wanted me to be there, but he didn't want me to be there if I didn't want to be there. And he had worked with entrepreneurs over his lifetime, and he kind of understood there was an opportunity there. And that you know, one of the big things for me was when I started working there, I had. Uh, I was the first one in the third generation or fourth generation to come in. And then I thought, oh, man, I'm in the catbird seat and there's no other cousins in here. And then all four of my cousins came in behind me. I was like, man, this is going to be a bloodbath. I'm going to be 50 and, you know, I'll, I might get it. I might not get it. I, and what I, one of the things I never would have realized, I mean, this my family business was a big business. It was a Fortune 500 business back when the textile business was really Going strong, and you were there were cutters in the United States, so all the clothing was made in the United States back then. It wasn't made yeah. overseas like it is now. And so, what, we're what, what business was it? Let the audience know. It was, a, it was a company called Avondale Mills, and they made fabric. They also made. They were also the largest yarn producer in the United States, and they made carpet yarn. Oh wow! And knitting yarn, you know, that made like cotton socks and yeah, acrylic sweaters and. Carpet, all the carpet yarns you can imagine, nylon, polyester, all the, you know, all the things that people were tufting carpet in Dalton, yeah. Georgia, primarily. They were the largest producer of that as well. So I was in the fabric division and we were selling denims and our biggest accounts were Levi Strauss and Bluebell, which is Wrangler and H.D. Lee and people like that. Wow. That is big. And I, I was I was doing great. So I was 28 years old and I was making $65,000 a year. And that was 1978. So you're talking about, that was a lot of money back yeah. then. Yeah. And <laughs> you can't imagine how many times I looked back and said, you're an idiot. Why did you stop doing that? That was a great <laughs> job. You're crazy. And I was getting ready to buy a really nice house in Greensboro, North Carolina. I was like, but I decided I, this was going to be my chance. And yeah. I went to my father and said, I really think I want to have a company. And so he started looking for me. He started looking for companies for me to buy, mostly dealing with his accountant. And he found that, I, this is in the book too, he found that dog food company. And I, kind of, I was 
you know, I was calling Ralph Lauren at the time and I'd been in the clothing business most of my life up until then. And so I was kind of enamored with really nice clothing. <laughs> there were mice or rats running around in this dog food plant. I was like, I don't think that's for me. But we looked at several other things and I found an opportunity in the furniture business. And that's what got me into the furniture business. So, right. And he was very supportive of me doing that. And I took a more than 50% cut in salary. And I didn't sure. even I didn't even do my numbers to see that I couldn't live on that. <laughs> so I was like. It's a part of the learning, though. Yeah. I was like, I, well, I have an MBA in the States, so I've, I've learned a lot. I'm working on my PhD now. I was going to say, you probably are going for PhD. Yeah. If you're if you're if you're making those kind of moves, you're PhD level. I know I am. Yeah. I, what, I, what I, made, I made a 30 million dollar mistake one time. I was like, boy, you're tell, tell me about that. So I was working. This is this is not real recent, but probably 2001 or so. And I'm I'm. I'm working with China and I'm working with, I had learned the paint suppliers, uh, no matter what country you were in, would screw you, excuse my French. So I was, I had gone to international paint suppliers. I was already working with Axel Noble and Sherwin-Williams and I was like, okay, these guys won't screw me. So I'm in the outdoor furniture business and I'm, I have to have certain UV requirements. So if you yep. put it outside in the rain and sun, it has to last. And we're high end, so we had to have a really... And we had real high specs, but we didn't have a way to check our specs. And, I, and Sir Williams sold me a 500-hour UV paint when our spec is 15. In other words, it lasts yeah. one year. Right. Might last three if it's on a covered porch or something. But we're, we're, our spec is three to five years. So, And most of it lasts 10 years or longer. So we have a real high we actually use architectural paint now because we learned the woodwork. That was part of the MBA thing. So this is a yeah. little bit. But I, I, I developed a finish that was incredibly popular and drew tons of people to the line. I sold $30 million of it before I found out I had sold a problem. Yikes. The paint would really start peeling off after a period of time. And then I had to come up with something. And my customer services department was coming to me going, we're going to go out of business. You got a problem. No, Let me show you how we're going to deal with this. We're going to, it's going to be like a mattress warranty. So they have a warranty. We're going to take care of them. We're going to help them get it repainted. Da, da, da. And we came up with this process. It cost a lot. I mean, it probably ended up costing us somewhere between five and $10 million over a period of years. Yeah. Yeah. But we dealt with it, but we lost a lot of credibility over that period of time. I'm sure so we had to, had to make a real comeback from that. Which we did. So, so what was it about your, I'll share my story in a second. What was it about yeah. your, like your, your final year at the company or maybe what, what was leading up to you thinking about it and saying, I got, I got to go. It's, that is a great, that's a great question. Thank so you. I'm, I'm in New York city and I'm calling on lots of big accounts, but I'm also calling on small accounts and some of my accounts were what they call jobbers. You know, yeah. are. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the fabric business, there are people that buy off goods or overruns or different kinds of fabric. Marshalls. They take, well, and then sell it to somebody that might sell it to Marshalls. Oh, so they it. would sell the fabric. They'd buy the fabric for a dollar and sell it for a dollar a quarter. Their thing was turn it really quick and try not yeah. to inventory it and ship it right from us to them and have relationships with the factories. 
And I was calling on one guy, and I got to be really good friends with him. His name was Art Friedman, and he lived in he lived not too far from me. I lived in Nyack at the time, and he lived in Westchester County. And so um, I, one day I had lunch with him. I said, what do, you, what do you pay yourself? And he gave me the number, and it was more than the president of Avondale Mills was making. Oh, wow. I was like, wow, you only got like four employees. He said, no, three. And I was like, okay, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. You can make that. You can make that kind of money just in in a small business. He said, "Yeah," and I get to you know, and I'm putting money back into inventory all the time too. I'm not just taking it all out. Sure. And so I was like, "Man, this there's got to be." It's the freedom of working for yourself seems like a great thing, and he was he was very encouraging. He didn't know I was going to down go down the road of mistakes. So then, uh, so that, that kind of, that, after talking to guys like that, I, I talked to other ones. I was like, you know, having your own business might be the thing that I just need to do that. I just need to get that out of my, I've got this idea that I should do that. And I'm worried about being in my fifties and not being president of Avondale Mills and being disappointed. And so, uh, well, let me, let me ask you something on that. Like what, what comes up for me is the regret and a lot of our audience a lot of the people in our Men on Purpose community, a lot of people that do, go through our coaching programs, they are making decisions now based on future regret. And they're thinking about it and processing it. It sounds like that's what you were doing is, how old were you, 25, 28? 28, yeah, 28. Well, 28 when I left, I was probably 26 when I started thinking about looking, it. You know, thinking about it. Was but, it you know, like about this no regret thing? I'm doing a study on that. I can't believe you brought that up. I'm doing a study on that right now because a lot of people my age, they don't, they're looking back at their life. Sure. And guess what? One of the biggest, you'll, you'll love this. Guess what one of the biggest regrets is? Uh, not taking chances that you could have. Right. Not taking enough risk. Yeah. And a lot of it has a, a lot. The other ones are mostly revolve around relationships. Sure with family or friends or whatever it is, it's, it's relationship. <laughs> Somebody was going through this with me. I said, well, that's one I don't regret. I would take a <laughs> crazy risk. I said, maybe, maybe my regret is I took too many risks. <laughs> I would put up my house every year for like 11 years. And I was going, I'd take all the equity out of my house and put it in the company. And I was like, this is, I mean, I'm paying myself $41,000 a year. I'm going like, this what is am crazy. I yeah. Yeah. This is crazy. This makes no sense. And my wife was like, no, I believe you can do, you can do this. I'm like, okay, I'll keep going. But this just doesn't seem smart to me. How long was your wife? Were you married when you left the family business? Yes, I was married right out of college. I got married, got out of college, got married a month and a half, two months later. And then, uh, you know, then I, then I moved her to New York because she'd never been anywhere but Panama City, Florida. So it was a big wake up call for her. Nice. She's like, you better meet me at the plane. I'm like, of course, they didn't have security then, so you could walk right out to the swap. Yeah, yeah. So the the reason why I asked that is because when I started, when I left my family business and I started my real estate business, before I even had this thought of starting my own business, I kind of gave up on myself. And I want to get your opinion on that. And, and I'll tell you the rest of this story. I I started teaching swimming lessons for ten bucks an hour because I didn't. I didn't feel like I had any other skills. And with my dad's business, which is the international shipping business, I was very good at what I did. And I, I'd been in the business my whole life. So I, I knew 
I knew the ins and outs of everything. And so even though I was 25, 29, 29, when I left there, like I, it was like I had, I was 55 with the level of experience. Wow, you don't and, what's that? 20, you're 25 now, right? You're no, now. no, no, <laughs> 39 now. And what the, the point of that is, so I'm teaching these swimming lessons. I'm literally crying in my goggles every day, literally. Other, you know, the other instructors were dumping water out of their goggles. I was dumping tears. Yeah. And I go home every night and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? And my wife's like, you got to do something. Like, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to go for something. And I'm like, how? I can't. Like, I thought I could do it on my own, but I can't. Like, I guess I need my dad. And so I had this lack of confidence, which wasn't based on reality, by the way, or evidence. It was just based on yeah. my, my massive fear and insecurity. And so my wife was the one that just kept saying, like, you can totally do this. I, I, I'm willing to take this risk. I trust you with it. Like, I know you can do it. And so when you say that, I hear so many people with stories like ours, whose wives were the ones behind them going, yes, 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 move forward, move forward, move forward. And that was a game changer for me. Was that a game changer for you? Yes. Support yeah. groups. I mean, some people are not married, so they're going to need a support, sure. group, sure. like a support group. But there's one other element. And you probably, if you've talked to enough people, I bet you've heard this. It's my, my son calls it grit. Grit, yeah. It is pushing through situations that are so difficult that you can't see the end game. Agreed. So you're in a situation, that $30 million problem is one of them. Sure. And I had, a, I had a huge problem with Royal Bank of Scotland, which we can talk about if you want to. Yeah. It, and it's it's a situation where you say, I'm going to have to sell my house and move and go buy some cows to eat. You know, so <laughs> right. You're like, I can't believe I've gotten myself in this. How do I get myself out? Right. You push through those situations and you've got to have that grit. Yeah. It is. It, there is a lot of self-confidence involved. You, you, I don't mean you have to be egotistical. You know, sure. you have to be a sociopath. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, you have to be Donald Trump to, right. to get through. <laughs> right. But uh, you can just... You can, you, but you've got to have belief in yourself. And I sure. think you had that. It was there, but you yeah. your wife needed to, to tell you you could do it. I, I wasn't able to access it for some reason. Like it was a, a, a self-imposed block and limitation. I just yeah. wasn't able to access it at the time. And I, and I told this story a lot. And I, what she said to me was like, I didn't sign up for this because I had gone to her and I said, I, I think I'm going to stock bananas at the grocery store. And people have heard this story. It's just, it's, I just love telling it. And she said, I didn't sign up for that. And I said, well, you didn't sign up for what? She goes, I didn't marry a loser. And I said, I don't think stocking bananas at the grocery store makes you a loser. She goes, <laughs> she goes, giving up on your dream does. And I was like, ah. it was like an arrow right to the heart. Yeah. She doesn't remember this. I do clearly because I started tearing up. And I was like, oh, man, I don't want her to see that she got me. And so I thought, all right, well, you know what? If I can't do this for me, I've got to do this for her because I made a commitment to her. So the other thing that I needed besides grit was resolve and integrity to my commitment, right? So I didn't make a commitment to be an entrepreneur. I made a commitment to provide the best life possible and be the best partner that I could. And, and the trajectory that I was going down when I left my dad's business was not the best partner that I could be. And so I had to make a choice. And even though we were I, like, I'm sure you had many sleepless nights and fearful days, anxiety ridden, depression ridden, but that, that resolve and that grit and that, that commitment 
pushes you through that stuff and it, and it makes you stronger. It makes, it makes great entrepreneurs, you know, like smooth seas never made a great sailor. It's the same concept. Yeah. That's yeah. Yes. Yeah. Failure so, is, a, is the great teacher. Yeah. So what happens, what happens at that point when you're like, what, what, what was the, what was the, uh, the tipping point? For you to leave, like you started getting this idea and this idea started growing like a wildfire in your head of like, man, I think I can do this on my own. Was it because you needed to make a name for yourself or you didn't want to be in your dad's or your family's shadow or like what, what was it internally that started really eroding or eating at you? I don't know that there was any one thing. I can't really name a moment that I said, you know, that's it. But when I sure. started looking at things, I was like, okay, well, this is good. This will work. You know? sure. And when I found this furniture company, uh, I said, okay, well, I can, I think I can help these guys. Yeah. Turns out I couldn't. I mean, I was, that was my first uh, huge mistake <laughs> other than quitting my job. That, that was like, man, you're messing up big time. And after nine months I had to leave. I was like, this is never going to work. I can't. I can't make this thing work. I'm, I'm not in control and I don't sure. have enough money to save it. And I just need to get out. And so that's, I started my own business from an idea, you know, just blank sheet of paper. Oh, so you I'm bought the, going. you, you guys bought the furniture business and then you walked. No, I bought a percentage, a small, like 10% oh, got of, it. A, okay. of a going concern. They were doing maybe $2 million. Got it. Okay. And I bought 10% of that, but I used 25% of my net worth to do that. So then I had to walk away from that. Right, I actually right. borrowed the money to put in there from stock. I put up stock and borrowed the money to do that. So, yeah. so right. I was like, man, I am so screwed. <laughs> and then I started selling and I did really well at the next venture. But then I was uh, on the road. All, I was gone all the time. I was, yeah. And then I went from making $25,000 a year to making $200,000 a year. I was like, okay, this is kind of what I was yeah. had imagined. It took, a, it took a while to get there, but I got there pretty quick. Sure. And so um, during that, I learned to do some entrepreneurial things, and I failed at a lot of those along the way. Like sure. I, bought, I bought a building with a guy, and he went out of business, and he went bankrupt, and I got the Jeez. building. I'm like... Jeez. What am I gonna do? I don't need a building. What am I doing here? Like <laughs> a forty-six thousand square foot building, which maybe doesn't sound big to me now, but it was huge back then. That's, that's a big building. Yeah. And but it's turned out to be a great it now it's our outlet. It became our corporate office, you know. So it really it's that was our first corporate office. So it really it really worked out. It's just um, you know, making lemonade into lemons is what I was really doing. Yeah. What 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 did you do like mentally to get yourself through that? You know, did you have uh, a shrink Were you popping pills? Were you doing meditation? Like what were you doing to get yourself through that? The, the big one was when uh, I had a $20 million loan with Royal Bank of Scotland and they got in trouble in 2008. They had the largest loss in corporate history. They lost $62 yeah. billion in one quarter, the fourth quarter of 2008. So they had nowhere to get money. They ended up, Eventually, Bank of England saved them. But before that, they had the only place they could get money was get it back from their clients they lent it to. So they were putting pressure on all the clients, and I was one of them. And I was just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't have enough wisdom to get through this. I've just got to, I just prayed all this. I didn't sleep. Like you said, I always say, I didn't need amphetamines to stay awake back then. I was like, right. I never slept. I was like, right. 
you keep looking for something to get into your brain that makes it work. But I got through that and I got, you know, the, the bank business uh, started un-icing un over uh, in the fall of 2009. Yeah. And so I started working all alone. And then I, I, I actually closed along with the other bank the day before my loan was due with Warrior Bank of Scotland. So it was, nice. just, it was a nail biter. Yeah, but I just, did it cause did it cause any uh, like turmoil in your marriage and your relationship? That's probably stress. made it stronger. I think what did cause turmoil was when I was gone all the time. So sure. when I that, my, that when I left the company that I had bought part of after nine months, I went on the road and I was had this huge territory and I was never home. And I had three kids. And oh yeah, I thought here's here's the mistake, next mistake I made. I thought if I started my own company and got away from this big traveling on the road, I would be home more. And I was like, nope, that didn't work out. I still had to go to markets. I still had to call on clients. I still had to build a business. And I was, you know, and I had to work harder. I had to like, I had to be at work 10, 12 hours every day and sure. the weekends too. So I was like, and I was, I think I was kind of like, yeah, it's like, I'm never going to get out. I'm going to be like a, professor the rest of my life making right. I don't know how to do it. and that's when I started paying myself 41,000 I went from 250,000 I got up to that by then to 41,000 for 11 years and I'm like going I'm I kept going to my wife going like you realize we're not making any money we're, I can't, we're, make, we're making the mortgage payments but that's about it this is crazy so talk about that for a second said, that, like what you're saying my my wife wasn't really putting it in my face she was like supportive yeah. She was saying, you can do this. I believe in you, you know? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'll keep trying. Wow. I can't believe you believe in me, but yeah. if you believe in me, maybe I, maybe maybe I, I can. <laughs> right. You know, what's interesting is the, the story is so similar because like every time I'm like, why do you, why are you sticking around here? Why do you keep believing in me? I keep failing. And like my wife said in a, in a mental health coach session, I said, like, I don't know why you stay. I don't know why you keep backing me. I keep messing so much up. And she said, because I know who you really are. And you just haven't found him yet. But I know who he is. And I know that that guy can do anything. Like, you know, that was very motivating to me. Yeah, and, um, and so what's interesting is there's two things that kind of came up for me. One is you kind of hop out of the fire into the frying pan or whatever this frying pan into the fire, you, you leave a job. Like most people that are in our mental purpose world, they're like, I just got to get out of this freaking job. I hate working for this company. And then they start a business yet. They didn't change their habits as an employee and they become an employee, which is what you're explaining, which is you're working 12 hours a day and you think, well, I've got to quit this job and spend more time with my family. And you really make less money and less time for the family. Yeah, you know, and it's more detrimental. However, not to you in that moment, not to you in those moments. And I'm sure. How, so, how did you sustain forty one thousand dollars a year? Was your wife working? Nope. She made a deal. She made a deal with me early on. Says, "I'm going to stay at home and, and raise the kids. You're going to yeah. make the money." Okay. How humbling is that? You know, yeah. You're like. You know what? You're right. I'm so I'm not going to abandon the kids and have them have a sitter here all day. Yeah, I'm going to take care of the kids. That's my job. Your job is to make the money. But as a provider, 
How did you, yeah. how, how did you cope with that? Because you're not providing that much. I don't care if it's in the eighties, what it was in the eighties, nineties. One thing about having your own company though, is even though your salary is $41,000 a year, you have the other things you can do with the company that like it pays for your car sure. and your expenses and your insurance. And it does lots of things that really, if you've considered them in your salary, it would be, you know, much more than that. So there's, there are some goodies uh, of having your own company as long as you can sustain those kind of things. Right, right. What eventually I did is got bought a bunch of buildings and then leased it to the company and then paid off the mortgages. And that made it where I didn't even have to pay myself a salary anymore. Yeah. That really has made a huge difference. The other thing that happened to me, and this could happen to you, is my kids grew up and I started having, this is this was really important. I started having family meetings because I said, I can't seem to get to my attorney. I can't seem to get my my children interested in the business. And he said, well, I've been conducting family meetings with companies and they start learning about the company and it gets them interested in the business. Sure. sure. I said, okay, well, I'm going to start doing it. How often do I need to do it? And he said, at least once a year. So I started doing it and it, it worked like a charm. They immediately got interested. They would come out and look and I got... Three of my children, unfortunately, one of them left, but two, two, one was an in-law. He's the one that left. And then two that came in and they're still there. And they, one of them CEO. Nice. And, the, and both of them started companies inside my company and they had the gene. I'm like, they had the gene to design product and they had the gene to run the company, to run their, you know, their part of the company. There's something about, and you and I know this because we worked for our family businesses. There's something about your learning curve and being faster, in my opinion, when you work for your father or your family, because there's something that you got to prove. There's love that you're trying to get. There's some significance in there. There's something there that you're going to learn a lot faster than if you work for somebody and there's, there's no connection, you know, there's no deep level connection. Can you, can you go through the structure of your family meetings? Like how did you conduct them? How old were the kids? Cause I know there's going to be a bunch of people that are interested. I do that with my kids. My kids are two and six. Okay. Well, let's go back to the first thing you were saying. One of the things that really bugged me when I was at my family business was that I might be getting promoted because of who I was. Now, this was a 6,000 employee company. Back then, it would probably be a 25,000 employee company now. Sure. So, so I always worried that I might be getting promoted because of my name and not my qualifications. And I mentioned that to at a dinner with one of my cousins who was in the business with me. And his wife went nuts. Really? She went off on me. I can't believe you'd say something like that. It's like, wow, okay. I didn't, I didn't, I'm just telling you, that's how I feel. I'm not saying you have to feel that way. Sure. Or he has to feel that way. It's like, wow, I hit a nerve. But that was <laughs> after I had left, you know, so I could, I could say something like Got that. Got it always bothered me that maybe I was getting promoted because not because I was qualified. And after I got into my own business, I realized I wasn't qualified. Oh. And I learned about fi- how to read financial statements yeah, and how to take care of issues, how to borrow money, how to all these things you had to learn, how to st- think strategically, how to think five years ahead and plan for that. And, 
and you didn't have money. You know, you're going to have to plan five years ahead, but you don't have money. And and I had something called phantom stock. Have you ever heard of this? Yeah. It's stock that comes real if certain qualifications are met. And this was, we had to make a million dollars a year, three years in a row, and then their stock would be good. And we were making like $50,000 a year. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? We'll never do that. I said, watch, we're going to do it. And you're going to be amazed what happens. And you'll be surprised how fast it happens. And we did it. And they all got their stock. And several of them are millionaires because it worked. You know? Yeah. But they're, they, they, but it caused them, I was like, I'm losing these key people. I can't lose them anymore. I need something to retain Keep them. them in, so yeah. I use that to do that. And I've gone down another path here. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. The, the family meetings um, with the, the kids. Family meetings. Okay. Yeah, so what, what's one, your structure? Financials. Well, first, and this is really important. You had other people at the meeting that weren't with the company or were with the company, but they weren't you. So when they said something about the company, it was more believable to the children than if I said it. Right? What do you mean by that? So you're taking, how old are the kids, by the way, in this scenario? They are out of college. Well, some are out of college and some are not. They're in high school or college. Okay. So you're bringing but them into like the boardroom and you're sitting down with the key the staff. The okay. CFO, the staff, you're the key staff. And they're going around the room and they're talking about what we're going to do next year. Here's our plan. Here's what Got we it. did this year. Here are the financials. And your accountant is going, hey, guys, you don't know how great this is. This is an incredible company. It's, yeah. They're doing an amazing job. This is your father's very creative, whatever it is. Yeah. And, I like yeah, that. This is very unusual. I call on, you know, I have, well, the firm has hundreds of clients, but I have 20 myself. And this is very unusual what you got going on here. And then the attorney talks and he says something like that. And nice. a little bit differently. They hear that and they go like, Maybe I should maybe I shouldn't be so down just because it's dad's company. You know? Yeah. And so um, it, it was critical. I, and I usually had a video. So here's the new product video. Here's all the products we're coming out with next year. And it had a really Got nice it. song behind it. You know? And you'd open with that. And then you'd start probably with financials. You'd review financials. And you're like, wow, you're only making $5 million or whatever it is. You know? Right. Like, wow, that's incredible. You know, I had no idea, you know. And you grown well. We were doubling every three and a half years. Wow! And so it was. They also saw the growth. And what got one of them interested was um, I was getting. I, I was buying a company that was in the indoor furniture business. And I said, I kind of want us to. You know, we're so seasonal. We don't make money five months a year. We need something to, to counterbalance that. And he said, Well, I think I might be interested in that. I said, Okay, come on in. Yeah, and that, and that got my son in, which was huge because he's CEO now, and he's frankly he's a lot smarter than me. So yeah, it's a, <laughs> he's doing a great job. It's That's cool. Work less. Yeah, it's almost like it was almost like an investor meeting. Like you brought that in, them in. To, it would be almost like a board of directors meeting. Right, right. That's yeah. cool. I like that. I, that's a really. Well, they own some stock too, so they had some stock. And I had given them, so, you know, not a ton of stock, but eventually sure. that became a lot of stock. But they had some stock. And I was like, well, y'all are going to get this one day. So you better, you know, if you want to survive. Oh, yeah. Because I don't know. 
I guess we could hire a president or a CEO, but sure, it wouldn't be the same. And we though. did during this process. My 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 son came in. He didn't. Here's a weird thing. He did not want to run the company. It's a lot of pressure. I brought, I almost died. This is part of what's in the book. He didn't want the lung guy. Pulled in a CEO from. Well, it went to talk about that for a second. The, is this this is the uh, clot right? Dick Cross is who I brought in. This is probably. I think this is in the book. I brought in a guy named Dick Cross, who that's what he did. He helped people run companies and get them. He usually kind of got them ready to sell. He's out of private equity originally. Yeah. But he's he had two MBAs. I was like, I, I was introducing him at uh, a club one night to my son and a friend of mine. And they all had MBAs and they were kind of doing their, you know, this is how my resume and I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I, oh, I have an MBA from Harvard. And then William says, oh, I have an MBA from Alabama. And then my friend says, I have an MBA from Virginia. I'm like, I have an MBA. I have an MBA. And they all look at me because they know I don't, right? I said, I have an MBA in mistakes and mine costs yeah. way more than y'all's. And it's way more prevalent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I learned a lot more than y'all yeah. Yep. So you brought him in when you had the blood clot, right? Right. When I had yeah. blood clots in my lungs to help me in case I died, he would run the company because William sure. was saying, I don't want to do it. Yeah. It's and, interesting. and then uh, he came in for like 15 months and, you know, I had a contract with him that said I could let him go at any time. And then William said, okay, I think I want to do it. And he said, if you'll run it based on this EOS system, yeah, I'll do it. I said, okay, well, that's fine. What's EOS? And he yeah. kind of walked me through that. I don't know. Have you ever heard of this? Yeah. Oxygen oh, yeah. System. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So William decided he wanted to run it that way. I was like, great, do it. And so he started putting the system in place and it's been great. Got it. How did you trust your son to do that? Or how did he trust himself to do that? How did he know he could do it? I'm, that's probably a question for him. <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> How did you trust him to do it? I knew he could do it. I knew he could do it because he's, like I said, he's way smarter than me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he has an MBA, you know, so he, he could do anything. He has a real MBA. <laughs> a real MBA. <laughs> a piece of paper MBA. Yeah, I, I figured I could help him if he got in. What's interesting now is since I've kind of, I hadn't walked, but I'm working maybe three days a week and interviewing cool guys like Ian. And and uh, he's he realizes I'm letting him do it, whatever he wants. Yeah. And now he brings me in to situations. He asks me to come into situations, as opposed to me putting myself in front of the situation. Got it. Okay. So uh, it's 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 hard for me. You know, I never knew if I couldn't work because I worked since I was 13 years old, pretty much. Right. And so, but it's kind of I kind of like it actually. <laughs> so what is a, I mean, obviously you've been a successful guy most of your life, except for the $40,000 thing. I mean, and that's just success. <laughs> yeah, much, right? That's just financial success. What, what is look a lot of, yes. a lot of people have this idea of what success is supposed to be. And it's millions of dollars. And when I get there, I'll be successful. When I get this deal or buy this company or sell this company, I'll be successful. Or, you know, a lot of guys in, our, in the real estate world say, well, when I, when I have this many units, I'll be successful. What does success mean to you? Because you've been a successful guy almost your whole life. Well, 
I think relationships are probably the most important thing. I think like you, you're describing your wife relationship. I know that's really important to you. Yeah. So it's your, but it's your relationships with your employees, your friends, your wife, your, you know, your employee, every, every part, your customers, your lawyer, your accountants, all the, all the people that you surround yourself with are critical. Yeah. They'll want to help you. You know, they'll, they'll tell you things that may not tell other people. Sure. But there's there's one thing I learned, and I learned this after I decided to be an entrepreneur. You have to have six traits to be an entrepreneur. Have you have you you know this? I, you I feel this? like I do. I want you to go through it though. So that's it's visionary, passionate, problem solver, driven, and this next one is the big one: risk taker. Yeah. I think a lot of people when I get to that one, they kind of go. I don't have that. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. And I'd say, then you need not to be in because if you don't have that, you actually have to have all the risk taker. Responsible is the last one. And if you have all those, you can do it. If you don't have all those, maybe you, there's, you have three and your partner has three, but I'm not sure you'll jihad with each other. If one's a risk taker and one's not, it'll be very hard for you to make decisions. Sure. Well, that's where I trust think the risk present. taking part. Say that again. That's where trust is, has to be present. Like my wife wasn't a big risk taker yeah. at all. You know, maybe yeah. your wife wasn't either. They just no, she's not. understatement. Right. <laughs> yeah. So go over those again for people that are writing it down. So it's uh, go over those again. Visionary. See the future. So I think that's probably one of, if not the most important thing. Sure. Passionate. If people. You'll know if you're passionate because people, that's one people will say to you. They'll hear it. They'll feel it from you. Yeah. They'll feel it by the way you talk to them about your business or whatever you're doing. Yeah. They'll, that's because that's the one thing that people say, wow, you're really passionate about your business. So, like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Problem solver, driven. And this is one that here's, a, I, this is where I describe driven. I have it. I hate it because it's that you can't sleep at night. You're yeah. constantly going, trying to push forward to get the next thing. You're looking for more volume. You're looking for more profit. You're looking and it just, you're just so driven that I kind of wish, sometimes I wish I wasn't so driven, you know, so, cause it's, I don't think you, but you got it or you don't. It's kind sure. of, you know, sure. Some people say it's a blessing and a curse. I've never known my, my drive to be a curse. Ever. It has gotten yeah. into some hairy situations. Or sleeping, maybe. It's a sleeping yeah. curse. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I wouldn't have the MBA if I didn't have so much drive and so much high risk tolerance to get myself into situations. And I go, all right, dude, you're deep in the mud now. You better, you better figure out a way out quick or you're going to sink. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and then that, but that, that, that's what makes you, that's what makes greatness. I mean, what you're talking about here is, is basically the, the way you operate. So what, 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 what success means to you, like what you described is, is how you show up for people, not in terms of the amount of money you make or the size of your business. It's really those relationships that you cultivate over time and the way you show up for people. That's legacy too. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Risk taker is, the, is another one and responsible. Responsible kind of goes without saying. You got to be yeah, of course. responsible. And it's, it's probably integrity or something like that. It's, it's the, uh, it takes a lifetime to get a reputation. It takes a second to lose it. That's, yeah, it's that, exactly. that kind of thing. 
I think yeah. responsible has to do with paying your bills. About paying your bills because you're not going to be able to pay your bills all the time. That becomes a huge problem for a lot sure. of people, and they they drown. If you'll call your suppliers and yep. they know you and believe in you, you'll be amazed. I think there's a big section in the book because during when this Royal Bank of Scotland thing, I ended up calling my supplier in China. He said, "Hey, I believe in you. Just don't pay me." Yeah, and I, and I went ever. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> No, you have to pay me eventually, but I believe you're, you'll get through this. I'm going to help you get through. Okay, how much? $2 million. I went, okay. And so I said, if that works, I'm going to call my other supplier. So I started right. calling. I came up with $5 million really quick. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, I'm going to get through this. And I started calling every supplier and asking for longer terms. Yeah. It's Some crazy. would give me, pay me when you can. Some would give me, Okay, you got to pay me in ninety days, but almost everybody went ninety days. Sure, I said well, I'm not talking about forever. I'm just talking about to get through this. Sure, I mean what's it's their, a great recession. What's their choice though? They don't get any. Like my, I remember my dad making those calls in two thousand eight and nine to our, uh, to our our vendors, and he was like, "Look, I, you know, I, I'm I'm balancing as much as I can. If you can extend me another, if you can send sixty days, I'll be fine, and I'll get you paid." Other than that, it's all going to be a house of cards that falls down, and you're going to be you're going to be one of fifty people in line in a bankruptcy court if 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 you guys can't help me, I I can't help you, and I don't want to do that. And and yeah, I, didn't, I didn't go there. <laughs> so right. I, could, I didn't go. I didn't use the B word. Well, it was so in the in the shipping business, as you probably know from moving goods, like as a yes. broker. Yeah, I know exactly. You're taking huge risk, huge. really low margin. Yeah. And and custom U.S. customs because we were a customs broker uh, um, and uh, we did customs clearances for our clients and warehousing and trucking and freight forwarding and ocean and air like customs would take the duty and tariff out immediately upon arrival. So the moment you submitted those documents, two hundred fifty grand, eight hundred fifty grand, two million dollars, twenty thousand gone. You're like, holy shit! What about no. my cash flow? And customs like, we don't care. We yeah. want our money and we're not going to, we're not putting you on terms. We'll get our money. And that's what really started messing us up. And luckily the vendors started working out and everything was cool. And then, and then things spiraled out of control. We had a, a client go out of business on us that owed a, a lot of money and, and that just hurt big time. But like when I, when I, so I rode that storm from 08 to 12 and that's when I got out and I basically was sleeping in the warehouse, like living in my dad's warehouse because I didn't have any money and nobody would really rent to me. And then at that time, my parents' relationship was a little toxic because of their communication and what was going on with the business and money. So I didn't want to be in that environment. I could have, but I didn't want to. And so what I, what I um, realized was like, wow, I, I think I made a mistake. I didn't make a mistake joining my dad in business. I think I did it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think what I realized, what I realized subsequently in, in like closer to now times was that I did it because I didn't believe in myself enough to go do it on my own. And when I said to my dad, I remember this day, like I was just fighting back tears because I don't want to show him like weakness. Not that he would have cared. I just didn't want to. And I said, like, I think it's time for me to chart my own course here. And he was like, I totally support you on it. I think you're right. I, I, I You're living under my shadow, man. Like, I know you're doing really well and you're successful here, but I, I think you need to know if you can do this or not without my help. And I said... He goes, this, this is probably the best time for you to leave because you can't come to me for money. 
you will fail or succeed and it will be because of you. And that will build you way more than if you knew that you had a lifeline from me, that if you failed, you could come back to me and I'd fund you for a little bit or whatever. Like that was very helpful to me. And it was a tough, it was tough, but it's tough. To, yeah, that's very tough. Like the vision that I had for what could be possible was so big that I would have done myself a massive disservice if I didn't try. And I'm telling that to the audience. Like if you're sitting here listening to this and you haven't made that decision to take a big ass risk because you've got this big vision, like you must act because there's not, we're not recession proof from here out. There's some shit that may come down the pike sooner than you think. And then all of a sudden you have more excuses pile on and more blame pile on. Like, and you're always going to have these 9-11 yeah, yeah. or things that happen yeah. uh, or something that happens inside your business. You've got to always just, a reason, yeah. always a reason. Another kid comes yeah. along, a wife or husband loses the job. Like there's always a reason. There's never a good time to start a business. There's never a good time to take a chance. I don't know. I don't think there is. No, no. Well, no. actually. <laughs> no, I think it's when William William came in. Both both of my children came in in two thousand eight. Oh, in, nice. in, in January <laughs> before the recession hit. Yeah, they were sort of stuck. You know, they couldn't get out. There was no jobs available, sure. so they were sort of stuck there. They had to make it work. And it's then William out. came out with his line in two thousand January of ten. So it took him two years to put this thing together, the indoor furniture thing, and it was immediately successful. And oddly enough, the timing was perfect because nobody was doing any coming right. out with a new business, you know. Right. And everybody went, wow, look at this stuff. I love this stuff. And so it worked out great. So there is okay. timing is timing's important. So tell people about your book. I, I haven't had a chance to read it. I read the cliff notes that they sent me and it and it's first of all, <laughs> the name reminds me like the name like makes me feel like uh like i'm sitting on a beach in the outer banks or in nantucket you know a summer classic yes. like it's it's very reminiscent of just just a beautiful summer evening you know yeah i think the guys that wanted me to, the guys at the company that wanted me to sell a lot of books like that's they like that name so i was like well that's the name of the company too so yeah yeah it is it is classic but um I, I had that. I had a, a situation where I was going to China. I've been to China 29 times, and when you go on that plane, you get you you're you're in a tube and the air compression, and you're not moving around enough, and so you get blood clots in your legs if you don't move around a lot. So that happened to me. And then um, I had this is interesting. I had a dream every night for a year that I was going to die. Yeah, and I went that. to my son, and I'm at a meeting with my son, and we're out. We're at our farm, and we're we're at, we're had lunch, and we're getting ready to break up. I said, "I know you're. This is tough to believe, but I'm going to die, and it's going to be soon." He's like, "You're crazy, Dad." I was like, "I'm telling you, and I haven't told your mother this, but I'm having a dream every night. I'm going to die, and I'm telling you, it just bugs the heck out of it." After a while, you kind of go, "Okay, right. God, tell me something here." I'm like, "Yeah." And that next day, the next morning is when I got in trouble and went to the hospital. And it turns out I had five blood clots in my lungs. And one, here's an interesting, a blood clot to your lung, your kidney, your heart, your liver, your brain, any of those locations can kill you. Oh, I, like, yeah. I had to learn that after the fact. But, but uh, 
after that happened to me, and I and I, what happened is I'm in the hospital, and you get a signal to your brain that you're going to die. It's I different. mean, this is clarity like you can't imagine. It's not like I think I'm going to die or I might die. It's a hundred percent. You're going to die. You got a few seconds or maybe a couple of minutes. Really? Say whatever you want to say. We're done here. You're gone. We're gone. You know, eternity awaits you. And the infinity of all, all that just is just mind boggling. So the nurses, your bed comes up to in the hospital to watch TV, but it also goes down. So your head is lower than your feet. Yep. The nurses are pushing me over in the bed and filling me full of dopamine and salt water. And I come back. And I'm and I'm 100% sure I'm dead. And then I come back and I'm like going, I'm, I'm supposed to be dead. Why am I? Why am I here? Wait a minute. What so is, you actually died? I didn't. I don't. I, did, I never passed it out. Okay. I'm telling you, you're like 100. Sure. I'm telling. Telling my wife is there, and I'm saying goodbye, and I'm sorry, and I'm, no, you know, you're gonna have to deal with all the things that I messed up, and I'm yeah. calling. I was just, and I'm crying, and then yeah. I, and then this happens. Well, then I'm crying like uncontrollably. I can't stop crying for hours. I'm crying for, because I'm thinking, am I going to die now? Is it a few minutes? Is it an hour? Why am I not dead? Why am I alive? Is there some purpose for this? And that's when I got the, the, you need to write the book signal. I was like, write the book. I was like, you know, I don't know how to write, right? (laughs) So, So I started on trying to write the book and I didn't do a good job. So I started interviewing authors and <laughs> found Christopher, thank God. Yeah. Wow. Dude, that, that's a, that is such an incredible story. I mean, obviously, I was, they were actually saying, take him to ICU, take him to ICU. I was like, and I started calculating the, where the elevators were. And I was like, right. Guys, not gonna make not, it. I'm dead. We're not going to make it to the elevator. Wow. How, how, how long ago was this? This was 13, 2013. So oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. And then you got really clear on what the, well, you got clear on the book. Did you get clear on your purpose, your mission? Like why you were supposed to be here? what did you get clarity on? Read the book. <laughs> <laughs> why we're having this interview right here that I could help people or, you know, that, that I, I'll tell you one thing, those, those difficult times that I was in praying, praying during those difficult times, particularly during the $20 million loan thing. Yeah. I was like, okay, I can't, I can't do this by myself. I, sure, you're gonna have to help me here. I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I not, I need not, I need wisdom. Let, whatever happens today, you got this, right? <laughs> it's kind of like Jesus take the wheel. The song, you know. Yeah, well, that's, you're talking about faith and trust. That's probably yeah. that's the other piece that an entrepreneur needs is faith and trust. Sometimes you got to let go of the. Not even sometimes. So yeah. often you got to just let go and go, you know what? I got to have faith here that this thing's going to work because there's not more input that I can put in. Pray for wisdom. I think wisdom is the, and that's what this, this COVID thing, I hate to, I almost hate to bring this up. I don't know what your listeners think of this, but all these non-anti-vaxxers sure. that say they're going to pray. I'm like, God gives you wisdom. Yeah. Use, use, get him to give you wisdom and make a decision based on the wisdom he gives you. Don't make it on your personal feelings. Yeah, I agree. And God is not going to help you if 
you're not using your wisdom to make a decision about whether to get a vaccine or not. Anyway. You know, you know what's interesting about that view? I, I feel I feel you on that. Like very much agree. My employees is like I'm I've lost a couple of employees. Sure. And they, and they and oddly enough, they both did not get vaccinated and they told the other employees, you gotta get back. I made a huge error here. And they just still didn't. Still they moved some needles, but not Enough. And they died, like lost them less than they died. And they died. And you they know what's interesting? The other employees still didn't get vaccinated. And I was like, you know, they, how does that I'm not move the needle? Like I, 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 um, I listen to Howard Stern a lot and, and on <laughs> there's, there's these, uh, these like packages he'll play of all these different clips of these preachers. These are like nutty. And I'm not, I'm not getting down on any religion or preachers. And that's not what we're doing here. I'm just bringing up a specific incident. All no, these nutty preachers who are like, this is because of this and COVID's because of that and gay rights and all that. I'm like, who the, who, who believes this shit? And they're, they're <laughs> complaining about abortion and that's why God made COVID. And I'm like, these people actually brush their teeth. There are people that listen to these nut jobs. These people have private jets, by the way, which is, that's like, <laughs> that's a, that's a whole nother story. But every single one of these people that got on and said, um, you know, we're, we're drinking lithium and we're taking silver and we're doing this. They're all dead. And they, they had some deathbed confessionals from some of these preachers who were like, I was wrong. God gave me the power to make a choice not to heal. Like exactly what I'm talking about. Education. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and, and it was God straight from you guys' mouth. Give you the wisdom to make a good decision. Don't, yeah. don't. We were He's blessed with that. You for yourself from making no. a bad decision. No, we were blessed with that. We were blessed with power of choice. And unfortunately, sometimes we make choices that don't serve us. And sometimes we do. And we got to live with those choices. Either way, God goes, I, I did my part. Yep. If you believe in God, if you believe in the universe, the universe goes, I did my part. You got to do yours now. That's, that's the responsible thing. We could, we could go another hour talking about this. <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> but, you know, I heard from a, a I, I, there was a, a guy that I know. I'm not going to go into specifics because people know who I'm talking about. Um, and I saw him post something about an event he was supposed to be hosting to help a bunch of, of people. And because they made a mask mandate at the last minute and because his integrity was compromised, he didn't go to the event. And all these people probably suffered from not getting his wisdom, which now thinking about the mindset probably was better off. But, you know, what's interesting, I, I looked at that and I said, time to leave my life. Like, and I deleted from Facebook because I thought about it and I was like, you know, man, what about your integrity to your commitment to help those people to speak at this event? Your stupid, and yeah, I'm saying stupid, your stupid opinion, like, took away from 50 like Andy Mac, Yeah, yeah, yeah. anti-mask, anti-vaxxer, all the bullshit. Like, your stupid opinion and your integrity to your little opinion took away from 50 people potentially learning from you. Now, we obviously know from that, we, don't, we didn't want those people learning from a guy like that and that type of mentality. So that's good. It worked out well. Yet... Like your opinion is yours, yet there has to be a greater good here that people think about. It's not about you. It's about, it's about helping others. It's about like, I don't even want to, I don't want to go down this road. <laughs> you and I can go deep into this. I'm always said enough. Don't, don't, because we do monthly videos. Yeah. It says stop it. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll stop. Yeah. 
And I totally get it. I totally get I'm, it. We'll, we'll pray for them on the videos and like, you know, <laughs> pray for, <laughs> I got to tell you, it's got to, it's pray for wisdom. Don't pray for the, to not get COVID and die. I'm not saying that there's one way that's right or, or wrong. What I'm saying is it's not about you. It's not about you being right or you not doing something that someone tells you to do. It's about the, the greater good of the whole. That's, that was my thought process on it is, you know, if like maybe I'm not as, as aligned with this choice as I would like to be. And I have a family and there are people that, that look up to me and I'm, I'm, I'm going to make decisions based on that. You know, I'm going to make good but decisions. You these guys, it's impossible. You can't it's impossible. have a conversation with them. Impossible. So I yeah. get it. I completely agree. agree. Completely agree. I so, yeah. No, I, I do too. You know, the thing is, though, there are certain things that I'll let take up my mind share. And that's not <laughs> one of them. That's not one of them. It's just not like th yeah. this is. I just ask God, give me the words to say to convince them they're wrong. <laughs> Like, I'm trying. I, I'm doing a lousy job here. Help me. Oh, we've got. I've got kids. I've got businesses. I got people that count on us in this mental on purpose movement in this community. I, there's only so many things I'm going to let take my mind share up. And and me having a an opinion on a, a world issue is not one of them. In in that issue, there there are other issues I care about. It's not that one. You know, so I just, I go with the flow. We're going to get through this, but a lot of people are going to die because of it. It's unfortunate. And it's the Chinese, you know, I go to China a lot. And I know about the bats and the whole thing and the food markets and all that sure. stuff. I've been there. So sure. totally get how it happened. Well, look, this, this, we, we took a turn here and I think it's still fine because yeah, yeah, the point, the point is. Hopefully we didn't lose your audience. No, 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 They're, they'll be fine. And there's going to be some people that give me some hate mail and that happens every time. That's okay. I, I appreciate it. I, I, this, it helps me course correct. What we're saying is pick and choose your battle. Pick and choose what you focus your mind on and your mind share. Cause you only have so much mind share per day, per minute, per hour. It's only so much energy you can manufacture without additional things, giving you more and more energy. And that's not sustainable. So we're saying pick and choose your battles. Pick and choose your battles. I think yeah. that I think that's a good way to end it. That's a good way to end it. Pick and choose your battles. You want to be an entrepreneur? Pick that. Isn't Ian? Isn't Ian the guy in the Rogue? What's, what's Tom Cruise movies? This. Oh, um, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Yeah. Is that what you're named after? The Mission Impossible <laughs> Oh, oh. Are you talking about um, the guy who wrote James Bond? Yeah, I name is no, this has been great, View. I really appreciate your time. You. I, I think we've got a lot of wisdom here. And um and where can people go find the book? Amazon? Amazon, yeah. Or you can go to viewwhite.com or summerclassics.com. Or this this is kind of cool. My roommate in college is an actor, producer, director, and he called me and said, I want to read your book for Audible. And he's oh, won a couple cool. of Emmys. And he's a cool guy, and so he read he reads it on. If you like Audible, I'm an Audible nut. So I am too. I don't. I, I don't I drive a lot, and I'm, it's a great chance to read. Uh, I agree. Without I totally agree. Pulling a book out. Well, I really, uh, I really appreciate you being here. I know the audience does appreciate your time, and and uh, I'm actually I'm really excited to read this book now that I've talked to you. you. I'm really excited. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, thanks, Bu, and uh, right. audience. Absolutely, audience. We'll uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Hope you enjoyed this one.